All right, garbage listeners, I am Brandon Mercer. Uh, and I'm Joshua Stein. Today is Thursday, May 12th, 2016, and this is episode 26 of Garbage. All right, well, I don't have too much to talk about today, but I do want to comment on uh, the fantastic feedback we've been getting from listeners. Um, there's emails rolling in throughout the week. You guys uh, telling us how much you appreciate the show, telling us your stories, um, and they seem to uh, coincide with what we're talking about, um, taking your lumps on mailing lists or using OpenBSD uh, in a fun way at your company or web frameworks or all that kind of stuff. So um, really means a lot to me that you guys take the time to write in. And even if we don't get a chance to reply back to all your emails, uh, we certainly try to make an effort. So anyway, keep writing us and uh, know that we really appreciate it. Yeah, me as well. Um, I don't send a lot of replies, but uh, I read all those emails. Yeah, sometimes more than once, too, because it's, you know, you, you like want to catch everything. You guys have actually taken the time to write. Uh, usually the people who write in, they, they write a good amount of content, so yeah. much appreciated. I, I more than skim over it. It's uh, really welcomed. Um, so I guess if you don't have anything, I'll just dive into some stuff I have. For starters, the merchandise uh, will be up by the time you listen to this. Nice. Um, I got both. I got two shirts made to test them. Uh, they are being dis- made and distributed through SpreadShirt.com. So there's a Garbage FM link that has the um, shirts on there. There's like a um, a shirt that SpreadShirt makes themselves that I got today. It's kind of a thicker shirt. Um, seems high quality. I haven't washed it yet, so can't wear it yet. Um, but when you see them on the website, they're just in like three basic colors. But if you click on them, you can get them in any color. Nice. That's on there, and then in any size, they go from small to like five X or something. So that's the Spreadshirt one. There's a uh, slightly higher priced American Apparel shirt. If you're if you like those, same deal. Uh, different colors and sizes. And then there's a women's shirt um, that I think is made by Spreadshirt, which I have not looked at. But um, so those are priced at between twenty-eight and thirty-one dollars. That seems kind of high, but five dollars of that goes to us because we uh, put them together, I guess. Yeah, or you put them together. Yeah. <laughs> so um, that'll be in the show notes and linked on our website for uh, permanently. And then there are two stickers um, that I made on uh, Sticker Mule, which I have used before for the, uh, I made some lobsters stickers. And there's um, there's two OpenBSD Blowfish uh, stickers on there, the wireframe ones. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you want those, you can buy those too. Um, they are $5. And the garbage stickers are $4. And of that... Um, I can't. I think it's like a dollar something goes to Brandon and uh, and me. Yeah, that's cool stuff. I actually bought a bunch of the um, the wireframe stickers, and I have some of the um, lobsters stickers, and they're they're fantastic. They work great, and put them on the back of my ThinkPad and other territorial things that I want to uh, mark up. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, they they look really cool. So uh, they're good stuff. Well worth. Um, 
I mean, Sticker Mule, they pack a ton of stuff in there and they'll give you like coupons and stuff for your next order. So I'm not like promoting them, but just know that you're getting a good product there as well. In addition to the, what you were talking about with the shirts too, the shirts do look like good quality stuff. Yeah. Um, the stickers are, t- uh, one's just the logo with nothing else. Uh, it's two inches tall and one and three quarters inches wide. So little small guy, it's not going to take up a lot of room. Yeah. And there's and, another and one. And for the metric the... folks, that's like what, 50, centim- 50 millimeters by, uh, I don't know. <laughs> no idea. Um, and then there's another one with the logo and, the, and garbage.fm. So you won't have to keep explaining to people what the logo means. Nice. Uh, and same with the shirts. It's just the garbage can logo on the front and the text garbage.fm and kind of small print on the back up by the shoulders. And so, yeah. So if you guys want to buy any of that stuff, go for it. If not, no big deal. <laughs> uh, yeah. We're not like counting on the money or anything. Yeah, this is not uh, an attempt to make revenue. This is just a lot of people asked about it. Yeah. And they wanted a garbage shirt, so now they exist, and uh, now there's garbage stickers as well. So. Yeah, and if you buy one and it sucks or something, uh, let us know, because um, we can change them or get different shirts or whatever. But yeah. Anywho, uh, now on to OpenBSD stuff, because we're not an OpenBSD show, but there was a lot of OpenBSD things going on. There, there was a ton of stuff uh, happening. I, you know, it's it's funny. I've been really busy, and I know I've been saying that, but there was so many big things happening that it was impossible not to notice them. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's how you know when there's, like, really cool stuff happening is that you get pulled into it and see stuff about it, and people are waving their hands in enough places that you're like, oh, wow, that's cool. Yeah. So why don't you rattle them off? Um, so there was the P2K16 hackathon, which ended, uh, was it last week? Yeah, I think, or the week before. Yeah, so that's um, the P1s are the ports for the port ports guys. Um, there's only like a handful of um, people that show up to those, but um, usually if like there's a big system change or something, those uh, ports hackathons are a good time for them to kind of uh, you know do tons of work to get all that stuff building again and whatever. So um, there's a whole bunch of hackathon reports on undeadly.org. Mm-hmm. So you can go read them from the guys that were there and uh, see what they did. Um, looks like some cool work. Um, and it was in France. Yeah. And and I think so to, to maybe expand just a little bit on what you said, uh, coordinating the efforts. So, you know, we might make a change in OpenBSD that um, affects 2,500 ports. And then so people have to go through there and they have to make diffs and maybe they send things upstream. Maybe it's not an upstream kind of change, but, um, you know, they tackle things that, um, um, or fallout, I, I suppose is a good way to put it. Um, you know, somebody examines the tree, someone says, okay, I'll, ha- I'll handle these. And another person says, okay, I'll handle those. And they handle the logistics of keeping track of that. We, we probably trivialize it quite a bit. It's actually, they've, um, got quite a lot of work and they do it in a really streamlined fashion. So, uh, when we talk about those types of changes, they really are coordinated efforts. And, um, I, I remember, uh, Ted was mentioning something about, uh, Hey, now is the time to do this. And, you know, Stuart Henderson piped up and was like, well, Hey, wait. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah. Um, let's not understate the, the ports folks do a fantastic job and we have a lot of software that they make run well 
it's not just that it compiles and we have a package for it. Um, I think the maintainers and the ports folks do a fantastic job of making sure we have usable software. And I will even go so far as to say um, they find bugs and make um, open source projects better um, because they're thorough enough and they have a high enough standard or they set a high enough precedent with software that they actually use it and make sure it works on different architectures and all that kind of stuff. Can't say enough about those guys. Um, I'm not blowing smoke. Really is fantastic what you guys do. And um, I really do appreciate all the effort that goes into a ports hackathon. So two thumbs up for me. Yeah, and uh, some of those ports are like really big ones, like um, all the GNOME ports, or mm -hmm. I guess the GNOME port, and then all of the little tentacles that it has and all the stuff that it depends on. Yeah. So anytime there's like a new uh, major release of that, um, that takes a lot of work to update all of those dependencies. And usually they all have Linux-isms in them that have to get ripped out or if deft out and uh, OpenBSD support put in. Yeah. So um, that's a lot of work. And then like... Um, I think there's a new Firefox coming that has a lot of changes under the hood that uh, yep. is requiring a lot of work. Yeah, and I think Landry's been like ahead of the curve on that. <laughs> I mm -hmm. always, I'm always amazed that like how early those Firefox uh, diffs are sent out. I'm like, you know, I just, you know, you you look at something like browsers and we pick on them all the time because they're just huge and behemoth. But he is so. Um, on the leading edge of that curve with that stuff that you get to try stuff long before it's like, Hey, I need some okays. Like he's getting it out there and he's ironing things out and he's making sure it's in your fingertips early. So, I mean, we could probably spend an entire show just talking about how much work goes into that stuff, but yeah, it's, it's really cool. A lot of good things are going on. Um, and I guess the other major news is, uh, that we are now in 6.0 beta. Uh, Theo flipped the switch on that yesterday or the day before. Yeah, I saw um, that. Those always seem kind of random. They just, they're just, hey, now all of a sudden we're in 6.0 beta. Um, but things don't seem to be slowing down too much. Um, there's still a lot of stuff going in. I know we had like the Lib, uh, major crank. Um, Ted, you got his, uh, get PW NAM stuff in. Yep. Um, which basically splits out get PW NAM into a into two different functions. There's now a get PW NAM underscore shadow, which is like a proprietary thing. Um, but basically, the way that that works now is if you call get PW NAM, you don't get the as root, and you don't get the um, shadow, like the encrypted the password hashes for users, mm -hmm. because a lot of times uh, you don't need them, or the process that is doing that doesn't need them. And so it's just one less place in memory that your encrypted password hash is uh, being stored. Yeah. So if things like um, Heartbleed should uh, happen again, it's just you know one less memory location that has to be worried about. So uh, that required a little bit of changes in some programs that actually require those um, hashes, like uh, the password command and yep. X screensaver I saw. Along those lines, um, maybe this is what prompted him to do that, I don't know, but um, there was a diff sent a while ago for YubiKey, login YubiKey, which I use, and I tested it out, and it was basically a diff to uh, zero out the memory where the um, YubiKey private key was loaded, and, um, you know, I think uh, Benno, he came along and he said, hey, is somebody going to okay this, blah, 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 and somebody else looked at it, 
and um, I'd tested it, and I I didn't give my okay, but uh, I'd run the diff, and I'd never really like asserted that it did what it said it did. And he said, no, 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 I trust B zero, whatever. So um, again, another instance of getting you know keys out of memory uh, as soon as we can after we're done using them. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a good change. I think it's uh, you know along the same lines of re- reducing the amount of um, risk and uh, attack vectors that people have on uh, very sensitive pieces of information. Yeah. The thing I don't get about X screensaver is like, why doesn't it use BSD authentication, which would fork uh, a program that is set UID root that actually verifies your password. It, it, it's a pretty big um, question. I think my understanding is like um, X lock is, I think along the same lines too with the the amount of tentacles it has and the weird things that it does hmm. um but i don't know the answer to that question i think they both need uh some alternatives or replacements or something yeah i don't like xlock um i only use like a black screensaver like there's no animation or anything mm-hmm. and then i have it set so that it uh shuts off the screen as well with the yeah. like tpms stuff yep and x i can't remember if xlock had a flag or something like that but it's it's basically broken. So like when you, um, I I think Xlock doesn't have a flag, and I was trying to do it manually by doing like X set DPMS force off. But you have to like time it specifically because if you just shut the screen off and then you spawn Xlock, Xlock will wake the screen up. Yeah, that's to right. Lock it. Yeah. And then like as you would try and unlock it, like you'd hit uh, or you move the mouse or something, the screen would come on. But then, like yep. something else would be trying to turn it off at the same time, and so it was really a pain in the ass. So I was looking at um, Slock, I think, which was made up by, made by the Suckless.org guys. Okay. Um, and it's basically just like the most basic screensaver, like or locking program you can make in X. There's only like uh, one if def in there for some Linux stuff. Um, and I, and they actually used to have uh, DPMS stuff and they ripped it out so that it would be more simple, but I actually wanted to add it back in so that all these things wouldn't keep fighting with each other. Cause all I basically wanted to do is make the screen black, uh, turn the display off. And then when I move the mouse or hit a key, turn the display on and then show like a password prompt so that I know I'm not typing into like an X term. And my password is going into IRC or something. <laughs> Sounds simple enough. Why doesn't it exist? <laughs> I don't know, man. And then, like, you see all these vulnerabilities where it's like somebody held down a key and it yep. overflowed a buffer and then it crashed the locking programs and all of a sudden you have access to their terminal. Like, yep, how I'm... are we still doing this? Yep, yep. Uh, anyway, um, where was I? Oh, so that's uh, they get PWNAM stuff or name. NAM. NAM. Back in Nam, get PW Nam. Um, so what else? We have oh HPPA sixty four was ripped out. Uh, I've never even seen any hardware that runs this port. Mm-hmm. I know nothing about it, but it's gone now. So the two people that ran it, um, sorry. It's in the attic. Yeah, but I don't. Did it even work? Like what? I'm no gonna, idea. I'm gonna I'm gonna investigate this right now. I'm gonna do some research. Mips. MIPS and HPPA, but people use MIPS. <laughs> I have no idea. HPPA risk. Oh, these are like HP workstations? Yeah, so no one's even using these things. Yeah, I didn't think so. All right, so that's gone. Um, 
some more stuff. Uh, Katenis is doing more ACPI work, um, basically to support more uh, weird stuff of ACPI 5.0, because he bought a uh, Asus Transformer book T100HA, which is one of those uh, Windows 10 uh, like tablet dealies that has nice. like the removable keyboard. Mm-hmm. Um, it looks kind of cheap, like they're only a couple hundred dollars. Um, but he got one, and and we didn't OpenBSD didn't work on it very well, so he had to uh, write a bunch of drivers and add this ACPI work. Um, and I I guess it's basically the Intel Bay Trail chipset. Um, and a lot of the like interrupt stuff was hooked up through GPIO stuff that was defined in ACPI. And I think there was like some, um, something with the ACPI, um, like AML that would define a device after it was used. So Mm -hmm. like he had to make a diff that would basically go in and find all the definitions first and then load those so that anything that wanted to use it, uh, that device would already be defined. And he was doing like some stuff to speed up um, SD card reading. Oh yeah, nice. Um, I think he like doubled or tripled the speeds for um, for a lot of those SD card readers. But it's only the SD card readers that attach like natively, as like the SDHC device. Uh-huh. Uh, like on my Samsung laptop, my it has a micro SD card slot in it, but it just attaches as a USB device, so none of this affected it. Okay, so is he? I wonder if he just like enabled DMA and increased voltages. It was, and all. It was DMA, and then it was like um, some kind of like uh, yeah, like the frequency of that it can read at because mm-hmm. a lot of the readers and cards support a higher um, setting. Yep. <clears throat> so we support that now. So it's faster. So uh, that's cool. Yeah. Although I think the uh, SD, the USB attached SD card slot on my samsung laptop is still very slow (laughs) but our usb Uh, stack is not that great it's coming along though from what i understand yeah well mpi was working on it but i think he's now been kind of focusing on the um removing big lock stuff for uh networking so usb has taken a back seat but uh at least we have the xhci driver and have usb3 now so at least it all works yeah, that's cool stuff. Usually when you find something like when Mark gets a piece of hardware that we don't support well, uh, you can expect to see a lot of new hardware um, support added and working mm-hmm. well <laughs> in short yeah. order because he's awesome. Yeah, I don't know why you picked this laptop. Um, it seems kind of weird. Uh, it's only like a 10-inch screen. It's like super glossy. Um, the keyboard on it is like terrible from the reviews that I watched because I was like, oh, sweet, this new laptop is like really well-supported thanks to Mark. Yeah. So I went and watched some reviews on it because it was only like $200 on Amazon. Um, but it doesn't look that great. So, But I'm sure a lot of the hardware and like ACPI stuff that he's working on applies to a lot of machines. So, Yeah. So um, I, I didn't really have too much to talk about this week, but I will um, kind of tag into your ACPI stuff. So um, at work, I've been working on, um, I guess I've talked in the past few episodes making a bunch of asynchronous calls into um, a web service, making a bunch of asynchronous calls into the database service. And, uh, you know, we run, our database is running OpenBSD, and our app servers are running OpenBSD, and then um, we have these Go applications. And so I've kind of been, like, um, fiddling with VMware, making sure that the VMware is exposing the right hardware, 
Um, and it's just a couple fundamental basic stuff. I hit the mailing lists and I saw people asking questions. Um, I'll give my thoughts and opinions on it. And if you guys have stuff that you um, think I'm doing wrong or you guys have to, uh, stuff to contribute, by all means, chime in. Um, but I wanted to talk a little bit about that. Um, and then part of that is ACPI. Do we use ACPI timer? Do we use ACPI HPET? Um, what, what is the thing to do? And I've seen some like back and forth on that. So I'll give you a little bit of history here. I thought you were going to say that you moved some sort of this or some part of this database stuff into the ACPI BIOS or something. No, 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 no. Make it really fast. Nothing that fun. Um, uh, yeah, so we run VMware and, um, one of the biggest things was uh, making sure that you expose the VMX Net 3, the new thing. You know, VMware was like, hey, this is the hotness. And, um, you know, that works in OpenBSD really well now. Um, it attaches as a VMX interface. Works really well. We have 10 gig virtual interfaces or whatever they happen to be. And uh, the next piece that I kind of ran into, I don't know what it was, if it was like interrupt storms or what was happening, but um, ACPI HPET was not working reliably when I set up this OpenBSD machine maybe three years ago. And so I had to explicitly tell it to use ACPI timer. And, you know, like it worked reliably and I didn't have any issues, but, you know, at first glance, you know, the ACPI HPET looks a lot better. It's running at like, what, 14 megahertz, um, you know, obviously much faster. It's high precision timer. Um, so it's supposed to be a lot better for this kind of thing, but it didn't seem to be working reliably for us. Well, here we are, a uh, newer version of VMware. I think it's like, what, six now or something? I don't know. Um, and OpenBSD is on version 6.0 beta, so those two just maybe jive together. I have no idea, but um, I have played around pretty extensively with um, using the ACPI HPET uh, for the bulk of today, and uh, I didn't see any of the errors and issues that I was having before. Um, that seems to be like the really only two areas that I've I've had to fiddle with a little bit. Um, the only other thing I will say is like um, NTP. Um, in my ntpd.conf, I make sure that I'm using... Um, I did have, uh, like the sensor set to, uh, VMT zero and I was reading some kind of like, um, documentation and it was like, make sensors use anything available. So I made that change today, uh, sensor star or whatever it happens to be. Um, and then I also tell it to use our, our time server for syncing time. So not really big, like earth shattering stuff, but, um, I did have issues with it, and I'm not sure what they were, whether it was VMware doing a poor job of um, emulating that ACPI, and now it's in hardware, or if VMware still emulating it, and uh, they just fixed it and it got better, or what the deal is. But it seems to be pretty reliable now. So uh, what was like? What was the actual um, result of the problem that you were seeing? Like, how were you seeing it manifest? Um, so there was... Uh, there was output in the D message, and I don't remember what the exact error was, um, but the machine would be like become unresponsive for a while, and I think what was happening is interrupts were being missed or dropped or mm. not uh, not being handled, and um, I 
I don't know really too much about the problem, just how it was being manifested. And I was like searching for like, oh, what's going on here? What's going on here? And like one of the things on the VMware site was to, um, you know, to use ACPI timer instead of ACPI HPET um, for certain like older versions of Linux and this and that and the other thing. So uh, we've had both of those for a long time since like 3.6, I want to say. So I don't know that if our driver improved or their infrastructure got better or what the deal was, but um, their general guide was saying don't use the A, uh, ACPI HPET for these older versions of Linux, and it didn't really say anything about OpenBSD. So anyway, I think that's what it was. Interrupts were being missed and all that kind of stuff was happening. Yeah, because I had a, a virtual machine running somewhere out in the inner clouds. And it was, uh, I don't think it was VMware though, but the um, problem that I was seeing was that the clock would drift really yeah. easily. Yep. And so like at the end of the day, it would be like hours behind. And the fix was something along those lines, like you had to switch to a different system timer. Yep. Um, and it was something, I think it was, they were running Zen because I had to email their support and they had to put in like a custom Zen setting when booting my VM. And they had to like, do it on their back end because I couldn't set that in their web interface. Right. And then I remember like I changed something in their in their web interface and it uh kicked out that custom change and then the clock started drifting all the time, but stopped drifting, yeah. You know, we did have that problem too. Maybe that's why I'm mentioning um the APM changes. I made some notes and of course they're completely vague and then three years later you're like, what did this even mean? What was happening? And Anyway, I, I just remember that um, it, it could have been the time drifting, too. Um, it, it was something about clock ticks, mm -hmm. I don't know, whatever, being unhandled or something. Maybe that was the same thing. Um, but it does sound, now that you say that, it does sound very similar to that. Maybe that's why I was adjusting uh, NTPD stuff, too, and I don't right. know. Right. And then uh, at the last hackathon, the last um, general hackathon, I was trying to fix that VMware issue when running uh, OpenBSD under VMware Fusion on my Mac. Mm -hmm. If you enabled the setting in the VMware for the the VM settings to pass through the battery status, so that yeah. um, the OpenBSD VM could see uh, the AC adapter and the battery percentage, if you enabled that after like um, it's probably like fifteen or twenty seconds of booting. OpenBSD, it would get an interrupt storm and completely lock up the VM. Yeah. And so I, I was, I remember spending like so much time at that hackathon, um, going over like debugging logs from ACPI, and I finally figured out what the issue was. And of course, uh, Mark Katenis had like was like, oh yeah, let me just quickly make up a fix here and <laughs> fix the problem. And I was like, oh, okay, so that was it. That's awesome. Yeah. So uh, the other stuff is basic you know, just tuning stuff that I was doing, um, bumping shared mem, um, bumping, uh, what was the other stuff? Just, you know, your U limit stuff, um, max processes, um, uh, what was it like file descriptors and all that kind of stuff, bumping all that kind of stuff. So getting it ready to run, um, I guess a, a normal server workload versus a workstation. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So just a couple tuning bits and, um, now VMware seems to be 
um, working well. So the, the thing I was noticing is on my workstation, every once in a while in the middle of the day, my machine would just pause. And I'd be like, what's going on? Is Windows doing something? Garbage collection. Garbage collection. Like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> anyway. So I'm sitting there and like, um, where's my mouse? Where's my everything? Nothing would happen. And then all of a sudden it's like, hey, I'm back. And today, uh, I didn't notice any of that. So maybe it's better. Um, maybe using the high precision timer helped that as well. I don't know. Do you see higher CPU load on the host? I, no, actually I didn't look on the host. I don't really pay too much attention on that. So yeah, that was basically all I had to talk about. We've got, um, new applications, uh, performing really well, which I've been talking about in previous shows, uh, go applications, uh, running out of open files and database servers saying I don't have enough open files and that kind of stuff and getting all those things working and ironed out and, uh, taking the application to the breaking point to see what it, what happens then, uh, knowing where we're at, um, with our normal workload versus the peak it can handle and all that kind of stuff. So that's what I've been doing. And, um, I got to say the Linux machines are falling over in really, really in unpredictable ways compared to the OpenBSD machines. Um, I've, I, I can't pick on it too much. I'm, I'm not going to pick on a whole bunch of stuff, but, um, I'm running the go app, on a particular Linux machine that we aren't able to run OpenBSD on. And um, my Go app, just there's so many weird things that happen when it um, isn't tuned properly. So, um, and, and I don't know, like, the mach- but the machine is old and it's outdated and it's got a whole bunch of issues anyway, so we can't really pick on it anyway. We need to do a fresh install with something a little bit more recent that doesn't have a kernel from 2008. I had to do a migration for a customer last night to move uh, a Percona database from one from an old Debian server to a new sent OS server. Uh-huh. I just, I hate how every distribution and even like major version of distribution does some, does everything completely different. Mm-hmm. Like you go in and log in and I'm like, okay, is it like APT get? Nope. Is it, uh, Yum. Yum. Nope. It's something new now, and it's like synaptic. And... Um. So anyway, and then like they needed to change a setting to uh, set like the search domain for so you can just do like ping hostname mm-hmm. and it'll try in the local domain. And I'm like, well, I know it's in resolve.conf. I mean, it should be. It is on every other machine, but I have absolutely no idea like what magic scripts run at startup to control that. Yeah. So I don't know, like, I can put it in there now, but I don't know if you reboot it, if, like, some magic system D thing is going to run and, um, you know, wipe it out or whatever. Yeah. So had to do that. And then, like, something with the Percona package is, like, when you do system, is it system CTL, I think, or service CTL? I don't know. Something with system D to, like, actually enable the uh, MySQL server. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you would do that and then start it, it would just sit there and hang. And I'm like, okay, it's not giving me any, any, any information. I don't know how to debug this. So I'm just like Googling like really naive search terms, like system D start my SQL hang. And it's <laughs> like, you know, you get somebody on stack overflow who's having the same exact problem and, and no one ever replies to him. Right. Um, so I actually like researched this and like dug into it and looked at the command and there's like a helper script that, uh, the package installed to tie in system D 
uh, with MySQL or Percona. And what it's doing is it's starting up the server and then it's running in a while loop, running MySQL and trying to connect to itself to log oh in <laughs> to basically like ping it. And then, yeah. so it does that in a while loop waiting for the server to actually start up and it won't return you to the terminal until that succeeds. Well, I had just migrated the entire database from another machine to this new one and whatever like weird random anonymous user that script is expecting to have uh, like that, it's expecting that account to be set up on the server, but I just you know, I just migrated the entire database files from another server so they don't have any of those default accounts. So of course it, you know, doesn't print any of that anywhere. It just like is sitting there hanging. So I look in like the MySQL D error log and it just is spitting out errors, like permission denied errors for this uh, unknown. And that's the other thing is like the username that it's trying is like unknown MySQL user or something like that. Like that's literally the, the username that it's trying, which doesn't make any sense at all. So I like had to comment that stuff out of the script and just don't wait for it to try and log in and just assume that like when I tell you to start it, it's going to start and just trust me. I don't need you to like keep checking it and make sure that it actually came up. Or I mean like try once or twice and not forever. (laughs) Yeah. Or if it's taking more than like, you know, a hundred tries, spit something out to the terminal or do something remotely helpful. (laughs) But yeah, it's that, that system D stuff. It's just all... It's bad. It's an improvement over init. But it's not. It's just it made everything so complicated. And then you have to run like journal CTL, some flags, and then that spits out like a portion of the log, but you can't see the whole thing. And then it's like, how was any of this easier than just, you know, spitting stuff out to syslog or, you know, doing any of the standard Unix stuff that have been done for decades that everybody knows how to do and it works and there's scripts set up to work with log file like all that stuff was already there why did you have to make this journal ctl and i don't know yeah it's horrible we're and not a linux show right no we're not a linux show but but i will say like um uh this is a true story um a true linux startup from tr- yeah <laughs> system d <laughs> the, the the tales of the grim reaper yeah. from it's, i'm gonna put some sound effects in the background of you saying that Oh my from gosh. like Tales from the Crypt. Yeah, that's funny. Um, but when I go to start up something in Linux, it usually involves like writing some huge stupid script with um, and naming it like S60 because you need a number to come before the name of it in order to start it, in, uh, it before like, let's say you're going to start Postgres and then Tomcat. Well, Postgres has to be running before Tomcat because we all run them on the same server. And so they have to name it like S50 Postgres S60 Tomcat so they get started in a different order, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's dumb, and I hate doing it. And um, so in OpenBSD, I love it. I don't know who did this rewrite or who put all this work into place that they just made it so easy. You just call like, um, um, what is it? Um, RC.conf. What is, what is our RC.conf? Uh, rc.conf yeah rc.conf yeah yeah or well rc.conf.local is what you're supposed to put it in yeah yeah rc.conf.local and i have one so whatever but you you just um anything that you want to start on your on your machine you just put in that file in the order you want it to start in and you give it the flags 
And if you have like your own web application and you need to start that web application before, you know, some other service comes up, you put, um, oh, what is the thing like the local commands that it does? Hold on, I'm going to find out real quick. The um, package scripts, right? So um, there's a there's a, a field in there called package scripts, and you put your list of things that you want to start in the order you want to start them, and it'll start them up, and it just works. It's like magic. And then uh, if you have to write a package script from scratch, it's so easy to do. You can give it a user, you can give it a base directory, you can give it a binary name, and it just works. Like it's it's how much are these package scripts? They're they're literally like um, I don't know, five lines of script to make. And it's work. usually just setting variables because the stuff in like RC sub R does all the the fancy That's right. work. Yeah, the frame the framework is there. So, for instance, Postgres. This is a rather large one, I think, compared to most. You give it a data directory. You tell it what the daemon is. Um, if you want to have any special flags, you tell them what those are and what user you want to run the thing as. And then you include this. Um, at crc.drc.subber, and then um, you give it uh, basically how you check the health of it, how you reload it, how you start it, how you stop it, and you're done. And um, you just use the variables that you assigned earlier in the script, and voila, it just like works. And um, I mean, we have some Linux uh, startup scripts that are literally like hundreds of lines long. I think that's like the default for all those things, and they don't work. So like Tomcat. You start up Tomcat and you're like, hey, I want to start down, or I want to shut down Tomcat. If you use the, the script that comes with Red Hat or whatever it is, Tomcat is not coming down because it's like, hey, I still have people connected with me. I'm not going to shut down. At least with these scripts in OpenBSD, you can make a Java process shut down, like tell it, no, really, I told you to shut down. You need mm -hmm. to shut down. So anyway, uh, I'm getting off on a little bit of a rant about that stuff, but I really can't stand how piss poor you know, um, the startup scripts are in Linux, and then they made it worse with systemd, um, which is what you were just talking about. But OpenBSD, like, it's so beautiful the way it works. You know, you just, a couple lines of script, here's my binary, here's what user I want to run it as, you're done. Why can't everything be that easy? I don't know, man. And it's, like, there's so much pushback on the complicated stuff. Like, who is in favor of all this complex stuff? Nobody. Well, you and I aren't in favor of the complexity, but apparently a lot of people are. But even they like, get it. I feel like a lot of the people that uh, weren't pushing back, like they don't want the complexity either, but they wanted whatever the uh, benefits were, right? I mean, there has to be some benefit, otherwise nobody would want it. But like, what is really the, the benefit of System D? I found none, to be honest. I think that what we have, I'm completely biased. It solves all my problems. I used to use the stuff in Solaris where you'd create a little XML file with a with a program and you would use like SVCS to control it. I didn't think that was horrible. It did better than systemd. It did better than the Linux startup scripts. Maybe it's a little bit more cumbersome to manage than our stuff and it would tell you if a service was in a bad state and it would disable it if it couldn't start it so it didn't get into some loop. Um, I mean, it, it was pretty reasonable. So maybe that was like the happy medium, but of course... Oracle came along and bought Sun, and that whole ecosystem is kind of like wavering, I suppose. So it'll be lost along with all the other good things that came from Sun. <laughs> yeah. Oh, dear. <laughs>
so I guess that's it for this episode. If there's anything you'd like to hear us talk about in a future episode, you can reach us on Twitter at GarbageFM and through our website at Garbage.FM. Brandon, where can people reach you on the internet? Yep, I'm going to be on the uh, Twitter at I'm at no mercy mod with a K-N-O-W. And I'm also on Google Plus sometimes, but honestly, now that the weather's changed, I'm going to be in my camper, I'm going to be on my bike, and I'm going to be outside a whole lot, which you guys should do too, because this technology will literally suck the life out of you if you aren't going outside and enjoying life. I agree completely. Uh, I'm on the web uh, at jcs.org and on Twitter at jcs. Now we have the after show. Uh, yeah, so I uh, bought a house today. Congratulations. Thanks. I'm very tired for some reason. <laughs> I think I woke up like really early and then the internet was down and I tried dealing with Comcast at 8 o'clock in the morning and that was just a bad idea. Hmm. But then we went and closed down our house. So that was good. And then I came home and had to deal with Comcast again, and our internet's working again. Sounds like a rough day, to be honest. Yeah, but I figured, you know, the benefits were uh, pretty good, so now we get to start on doing things to the house before we actually move in next week. Very cool. Well, congratulations. Thanks. I, uh... I reached a thousand kilometers on my bike this past weekend, um... I don't know what possessed me to do that, but those are the miles that Strava knows about, and if it doesn't happen on Strava, then it doesn't really happen, so it doesn't count the hours in my basement watching uh, cyclocross <laughs> videos on the on the trainer. Yeah. Is that how long, or like what time frame is that, or time span, is that 1,000 kilometers over? Um, Since the beginning of 2016. Yeah, that's a lot of kilometers. Yeah. And it's a lot of time, too. The good news was is I did um, a metric century two weekends ago, and then I did another one this past weekend, and I knocked almost an hour off my time. Wow. Um, and I didn't hurt too much worse, so I guess I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it was fun. I've been, uh, I got a whole bunch of new parts for my bike and uh, new wheels, new seat, new rear derailleur chain. I think I was talking about that last time. And they finally all came together, and I stopped my flat tire problem, and I have just been able to get out and ride and enjoy myself, and uh, really satisfying. And it like after being cooped up inside all day, it's nice to get out and look at birds and yeah, see grass and trees get their leaves on them and stuff. It's always nice when you buy new parts and they just work, and then you can just go back to enjoying like what you were trying to do. I would always hate when I would change a part out on one of my cars. And it would make things worse. Yep. And then, or it's like, yeah, it added some performance. Like I remember on my uh, R32, I changed out the, um, I installed like, uh, what were they? Like camber plates mm -hmm. um, on the front suspension. So you can just like quickly adjust the camber. And it's like, yeah. So now I have like, it's easy to set more negative camber, but they're super loud and like they pop every time you go over a bump. And it's just like, it makes the car, you know, less fun to drive on the street. Yeah. And it's like, so, okay, so there's all these trade. It's just like system D, right? It's like you yeah. get some benefits, but then there's so many like drawbacks where it's like, you know what? I think I just want to go back to the old thing. Like I'll yeah. just do without the benefits for now. 
or you need to upgrade like four other things in order oh, to yeah. achieve the full benefit or support the upgrade or right. modification or whatever it is. Yeah, actually, that's what I wound up doing on my bike. I was like, well, if I upgrade this, then I'm going to need to upgrade that. Yeah. And then in order to make the benefit of that, I'm going to have to change this out as well. So, But it seems like um, mechanical engineers or whoever designs that stuff, they do a little bit better job of like showing you what's going to happen, like software and you know, tech people are like, oh, you know what? You can use this with whatever you want. And you're like, yeah, you can use it with it, but it's not going to do what it says. <laughs> so that's funny. And then the other thing I was going to mention is that uh, I'm going to try and take my coffee brewing technique to the next level. Uh-oh. Yeah, in the, in the near future. I've, I've been stopping at the coffee shop. Uh, during these Saturday bike rides and I'm like hey you know can you guys make me a pour over and at first I thought it was like you know maybe my taste buds are a little bit more sensitive um, or whatever is going on um, but uh, I went in there one day and I hadn't been riding and I was like there's so much more flavor in this than what I'm getting uh, out of mine so I'm gonna try a couple different things and hopefully um, with better proportions of um, coffee grounds and water and time, I'm going to get a little bit better uh, brew of coffee out. We'll see what I can do. Nice. So yeah, that's pretty much all that's been going on with me. Cool. So when do you think you're going to get back into your camper and start going places? Um, probably pretty soon. I have... Um, obviously just sunk money into my bike upgrades. Um, but in a couple weeks, um, probably get the brakes on and the fenders on. And I have been putting up insulation and all that kind of stuff. So I'm going to keep piecing things together and it should be ready to go out and start taking some trips real soon here. Cool. It's nice to go out there at night. You can, uh, you can just sit in there and relax the, um, I've heard an owl, I've uh, been out there a few times, and I hear this owl just hooting, and uh, we have, you know, frogs everywhere. I live in the middle of nowhere, so you can hear the peepers out at night and just cheapen and cheapen and cheapen for hours on end. So yeah. it's really nice and peaceful to get out there and relax. Yeah, sounds like it. Yeah. Now you need to avoid putting, like, a Wi-Fi uh, base station on it and all yeah. that, so you're disconnected. Yeah, uh, that's the game plan, is yeah. to be pretty remote. <laughs> So yeah, it's it's technology it's uh, technologically advanced by not having much technology. Yeah, think about that for a while.